may be seated, had to bust out the Our Father. Woo, I just felt that at the end of the prayers, like sprinkle that on it. How many, how many know that we're Protestants, but we still have a history that goes back further than the Roman Catholics and any other group? Come on. Some of you are moving and grooving and may not been able to hear that, but I want to repeat that again. How many of you know and believe that even though you're protesting today, a person called the Pope as your father, you're protesting him, you know that to be true. That's why you're here and not at a Catholic church, but how many believe your history goes back further than the Roman Catholic church? Okay, amen. I got about half of you there, so now I just need to teach a little bit. Look at your neighbor and say, here comes something extra. Here comes something extra, because I just, I got to tell you why there's power when we pray the Our Father, why there is a tradition that we have to uphold. When we broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, we were not saying in the 1400s and the 1500s, which by the way traces all the way back to the early church, resisting these kinds of things. When we broke away once and for all and were able to worship on our own, have our own services, not need the popes or the bishops of, Rome's, of Rome to designate to us our places of worship, when we did that, some people threw out the baby with the bathwater, and they say, well, to hell with all tradition, to hell with pastors, leaders, we don't need any of that. And that caused some confusion. And so what Christians needed to do was to correct the abuse and the overstep of power and authority. And so what we as Christians have always said is we do believe in bishops, elders, deacons, and so forth. We just do not believe in one being supreme, and we do not believe that they're all seated in Rome and that from that place they control the church. Can I hear an amen? As a matter of fact, that's going to fulfill a prophecy in the book of Revelation from that place of Rome in a seat of power the Antichrist will rule. I happen to take that to be pretty serious. So we as Protestants, biblical, orthodox mainstream Protestants, we're not saying let's throw everything out. In other words, some of you were raised to recite the Our Father, but now that you belong to a Pentecostal hand-clapping, shouting church, you don't recite the Our Father as much as you used to. I'm encouraging you to do the recitation of the Our Father because that doesn't belong to that place called the Roman Catholic Church. That prayer belongs to you. Can I hear an amen? That prayer was being recited before these folks came along. Now, let's not be naive and think that because there was a corruption in the church, that everything that they did was wrong. We agree with the Roman Catholics in so many areas of morality and of biblical doctrine. Can I hear an amen? What we disagree with is a lot of their practices and their authorities that they claim. So when you talk to your friends and family, as I have uncles that are Catholic, we're not necessarily disagreeing over the Scripture or over the primary Christian doctrines, as C.S. Lewis called this mere Christianity. That's not what we're differing over. Even the apocryphal books that they added in, I would say don't even debate that. There's not really a purpose in doing that. Where you would want to bring 
the center of your debate is not even so much over the traditions. What you would want to do is bring it to the source of authority. Christians believe that the sole infallible source of authority is the Bible, sola scriptura in Latin. Can someone say that with me? Sola scriptura. Now, they would say they hold to Scripture, but it's not the sole infallible rule of faith. They would say that Scripture with sole ecclesia or ecclesiastical authority make up that that witness of God. There is an oral tradition, and then there is a written tradition. They would look to the Scriptures, and today's message is on the Bible, so this introduction is helpful. Can I hear an amen if you trust what the preacher's doing? If you don't, just welcome to Metro Praise where we talk about anything and everything, okay? When you look at their system and how they break it down, they believe they have precedence from the Word of God where Paul said to the people in Thessalonica, where my family is from, my Greek family, my wife's family, Thessaloniki, Paul said... Keep all the traditions I've given you both written down and in speech. And what they will say is that that tradition of speech is separate from what was written down. Where we as Protestants say that which was in their speech was written down. But we have them in multiple epistles. So in other words, all of the talks that Paul gave to the Thessalonians may not be written in First and Second Thessalonians. Those talks, however, would have been written down in Colossians, Philippians, and in other letters. Can I hear an amen? Amen. What they have to insert is that there is a tradition that the apostles had, but it wasn't written down in any of the epistles. And so it was passed along by the bishops. Now we agree with them that could be so. Maybe there were things that the apostles did that were not written down. But guess what? It wasn't praying to saints. We have the writings of the first disciples, of the disciples, Ignatius, Polycarp, Clement, Justin Martyr. We also have their creeds, the Didache, the Apostolic Constitutions, and so forth that all date before the Council of Nicaea. So please do not try to bring that up as some type of a conspiracy that that's where everything went awry. The Council of Nicaea, most of everything there we would agree with, and it had to do with the deity of Christ, the Athanasian Creed coming afterward. And so what we are saying to the Roman Catholic Church is not that we are against apostolic tradition. We're all for it. We're not saying that we're against authority in the church. True Protestants, we're all for it. Can I hear an amen? How many believe in apostolic tradition? You were confessing it today. The church is built upon the elders and deacons, prophets, apostles, and prophets. This is a tradition that's been handed down. Our difference is, is where can it be found? It is found in the scriptures, not in the magisterium. The church is subjected to this. We do not believe that the church has the right to sit over this. And what their final response to us would be is they would say, come up with these scriptures without our church. So they will say, your church, where you've attended here today, was started at such and such a date. Our church, they'll claim, was started with Peter. And now... You use your church to get a Bible because that's what you say you are, sola scriptura. You use your church to get a Bible, and I'll use mine. Can you get this one? So they'll say, from the founding of Metro Praise, do you get this Bible? 
And you would say, of course not. This Bible predates the founding of my church, right? Is everybody tracking with me? And then they'll say, but our church gave you the Bible. Therefore, our church authority is right. The problem with that is they're baiting uh, and switching. They're, they're getting you to affirm authority and that the church gets, uh, gives authority and recognizes the canon of Scripture, which is true. But what they're then saying is that that institution is the church that recognized that authority, and that's not true. The Christians of the time of the canonization of the Scripture would know nothing about what they're doing today in Roman Catholicism. Those people of those first hundred years that canonized, protected, canon just means standardize our scripture, would look at a modern Roman Catholic church and go, what in the world are you guys doing here? See, they claim that church to be what their church is today, but it's not. And so I walk over to them politely and I go, get your hands off church history, please. (laughs) Stop putting your little grubby hands all over it, claiming it for yourself. Stop that. (laughs) That's not yours. That belongs to us. Ignatius belongs to us. These men and women, but primarily men, these men who were from all over the world at that time, coming from North Africa and Europe and even Asia, Asia Minor, these men knew that God's word was the standard, and it was what they judged everything by. It's what they judged their authority by to rule their churches. And so their traditions were subject to this word of God. And as a matter of fact, an early ancient uh, uh, heresy began to arise known as the Gnostics, and Gnosis just means knowledge, and they began to sneak into the church around the time of the Uh, late 100s and 200s, and they began to say, hey, we have secret knowledge that has come from the apostles, but it's not written down, and we got it from them personally. And Irenaeus rebukes them, and Irenaeus says, if it had come from the apostles, the apostles would have told us here. So actually, what the Roman Catholic Church tries to do by establishing itself as being authoritative over the Scripture and then introducing things not in the Scripture, but calling it tradition backfires because the very place they go to find that tradition rebukes them and corrects them, including the very fathers, the very founders of their faith. Can I hear an amen? Irenaeus does not help them. Clement of Rome does not help them. Ignatius does not help them. They're on our side. Now, why do I say all that after reciting the Our Father? It is because in this generation, we have divorced ourselves from tradition. And we have gotten to the point that in churches like this, because I'm not dressed up like mother having you call me father and you haven't had the bells and the smells, people are now thinking that there is no use of tradition. But the older that I have gotten and the more gray hair that I've received, the more I appreciate what others have done before me because where I used to be the cool guy on the block, now I'm the has-been. And before you know it, you're going to be a has-been too. And all that will remain is the Word of God. So you better get good at passing it down. Amen? You better get good at understanding what has come before you, lest you fall from, from some new innovation. And I would encourage you today to check out the first service because it complements this service. I got bored a while back preaching the same service in both serv- uh, sermon in both services. So by God's grace, I take on two different uh, messages. And sometimes I have to switch the gears pretty hard from first to second. Uh, we're going through John verse by verse. We're going uh, in first service Hebrews and the second service. And you can open up with me to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. 
But today's service in John complements today, and I'm just going to give you a summary of it. Jesus speaking in John chapter 12, he begins to talk about the necessity to believe in him and keep his words because it's those words that people are going to be judged by. And I began to make quite a bit of applications to our culture by that word, and I made judgments based on that word, and I hope that it encourages you to do the same because our world is choosing darkness as they have rejected God's word. Jesus taught us who males and females were. Now that we have rejected his words, we're in darkness. Can I hear an amen? I mean, think about that. When we rejected What Jesus said, in the beginning, he made them male and female. For a man to leave his father and mother. Does everybody see some gender-inclusive terms here? Yeah, they're exclusive rather, not inclusive. I didn't mean to trick you. How many see some gender-exclusive terms? A mother has an exclusive definition. You just can't include whatever you want to a mother, okay? When Jesus did that, that was not just cute things to say at your friend's wedding or when you get married. That is the foundation for your civilization. When Jesus said things like, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built their house on the rock. That was not him just giving you a Sunday school story and for you to build sandcastles in the back or to build something out of stone and say, I don't want to have a sandcastle house, I want to stone us. That is not just a Sunday school story. That is the whole hope for modern civilization. Brother, open up three tabs for me, please. On Wikipedia, I want them to see. Harvard, Prince, let's do five. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Cambridge, Oxford. Open up all five tabs. I want to show you where the greatest universities of our planet came from and what their models were. Can I hear an amen? When we talk about learning the word of God, we're not talking about Sunday school stories that then become irrelevant as you walk out the door. We're talking about the very foundation for civilization, and if they are neglected, they are neglected to our own harm and demise. Just as an example, when we have forsaken Jesus' words on marriage, now we have people who are adults claiming to be children, defecating in their own diapers as a fetish and want to be accepted. We have people that are now destroying their image that God has given them, male and female, combined to make the unified image of God. This does not mean that God himself is a hermaphrodite or he is transgender. The spirit is over the flesh. It's not the flesh over the spirit. God's spiritual nature is manifested in two fleshly natures. Can I hear an amen? It is wrong to see that example of the flesh and place it over the spirit. The spirit manifesting onto the earth did so in male and female. That does not now mean God is male and female. We do not take the example of God that he sends to us and push it now back up to him. He is a father, but he does not have male genitalia. Can I hear an amen? Only the son took on flesh as a man. So these ideas of male and female being fluid and then pointing to God saying this is his image, male and female, is making a logical error of categorical, a categorical error. The category of God as spirit is not flesh. When spirit manifested in flesh image, fleshly image of male and female came. But notice in their unification, they become one again. Do you all understand that? And the two shall become what? One, ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is ahad. The Lord thy God is one, ahad. Being ahad in, uh, ahad in complex unity. Two coming together as one. 
This idea of the spirit representing male and female is how God wants us to live, not because he is a mixture of both, but he is above both. But when he manifests this in the flesh, it comes out as male and female. Can I hear an amen to that? I just want you to understand that. When we forsook Jesus' words on marriage, look at all of the degradation that came to our sexuality. Now we don't understand male and female for reproduction. We don't understand what goes on inside of a person's mind when they struggle with their sexual identity. I believe that people will look back on this generation on how we have handled gender dysphoria by actually doing what the person who is sick wanted us to do to cut off their body parts. We will look back on that as we look back at lobotomies in the time about 100 years ago. Look up lobotomies. That was an actual practice to help mental illness. Hey, you got problems in there. Let's try to drill some of it out. We will look back, I believe, if God should tarry and we continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge, we as a society will look back on doing gender reassignment surgeries as now we look back on the stupidity as doing lobotomies to try to fix problems. Okay? We have answers for mental illness. It's not to give in to the illness and then to change the physical world around the illness. We change the mental mind to agree with the physical world. Can I hear an amen? We'll save them money, we'll save them turmoil, and we'll save them being drugged up the rest of their lives by healing the mind, not trying to change the body. Their body is not the sickness. The sickness is in the mind. But because we've lost the idea of male and female, that's where we're at. But the T of transgenderism doesn't stop there. What does it also go? Trans-animalism. Now people want to claim that they are animals. Have you seen this already? Some of them serpents, lizards cutting their tongues, putting in the... The, uh, the reptilian-type skin into their body. This is a sickness upon our society. But where did it begin? It began when we left our foundation of God's Word and traveled off into the world of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Going back to the discussion about Roman Catholicism, the problem with Roman Catholicism is they wanted to substitute the authority of the Word of God with ecclesial authority, and that went terribly wrong. A lot of the wars and empires came from ecclesial authority. The Christians had at once set slaves free, but under their churches, they started taking on slaves again. How many know that's stupid? We once used to free the slaves as Christians, study what we did in the Roman Empire, ending slavery, and then empires promoted slavery again. Somebody say, God have mercy, under the name of God. Remember in the South here in America, they were not atheists, they were not Mormon, they were not Buddhist, they were Christian by their religion, but they were a cult of Christianity. How far can you go from love your neighbor to beat your neighbor? Right, like that, that is the opposite of what Jesus taught. But it happens when you divorce yourself from the word of God and you listen to what people say instead of what God said. The Bible says those who sell uh, and, and own slaves go to hell. That's what the Bible says. It, goes, it says those people go to the same hell as those who kill their moms and dads. It's in the same exact place. When Paul said slaves obey your masters, he's talking about not starting a revolution that would upheave the entire culture at that time. But then he said to the masters, treat your slaves or your servants as your master treats you. Does Jesus beat us? Does Jesus rape us? Does Jesus steal us? No. So how could a master ever do that? And so in that time, Paul was redeeming the culture. And eventually, it overturned that slave culture. Now let's go to the... Colleges, whatever one you want to start with. 
Let's not give them free advertising. Let's just go right to it. Thank you. What is the uh, motto of, of Harvard? Right here, veritas. Does everybody see that up there in Latin? That's truth. And it came from the scripture. Now go to the next one, please. These are the biggest learning institutions we have. Okay, now go ahead and scroll down because I can't read every bit of Latin. I might need some help here. Here we go. Under God's power, she flourishes. This is uh, Princeton. Go up, my brother. I can't, can't see which is one. Yes, Princeton. I'll go to the next one, please. Thank you for your help back there. They're getting a lot of free advertising today. As much as you can scroll past, that would be awesome. The least amount of time you would spend on that would be great. Thank you. Here's Yale. What is it? Light and truth from the scriptures. What's the next one? Going now over the pond. Going to the University of, of Cambridge. From here, light and sacred droughts. Or from this place, we gain enlightenment and precious knowledge. Started by the Christians. And one last one, I believe you'll have Oxford. Oxford here, once again. And just go ahead and scroll down there for us, please. The Lord is my light. Some of them have kept the name of God and others in their founding mottos, but they all started from Christians with Christian mottos. Can I hear an amen? Are you smarter than the founders of Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge? Then why are we acting like we are right now? I know you have a smartphone, but most of us are dumb. Amen? Let's just be honest. You use a smartphone, but most of us are dumb because we don't know what they knew. What they knew is that God created the heavens and the earth. Albert Einstein's greatest blunder was that he believed that the universe was eternal. It had to be proven to him with the telescope that there was red shift, that there was once a beginning. But he used math to try to prove what he did. He used faulty math to do it. If you and I were in his class, most of us here would not be able to prove Einstein wrong on the steady state of the universe. How many of you could give Einstein a lesson in math? No, you would be forced to sit and listen to Einstein and go, well, I guess that's what the science says. I guess that's what the math says. But you would still believe what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hasn't always been here. Amen? But what changed? God's word or Einstein? Einstein changed. And guess what? They're going to change about abortion, aren't they? They're going to change about, I said, they're going to change about abortion, aren't they? I believe we're going to see light shine in darkness. Some of you might remind me of my end times discussion, but guess what? Even in that, that idea where it gets worse, the kingdom of God still comes down and they change their mind. <laughs> How many know one day we're all going to know the truth about the unborn? How many know one day we're going to know the truth about biology and genders and family? I just pray that they do it now. I pray that we see an upheaval of what is now known as neo-paganism be rid from our society and we bring back Christianity. We are no longer in a Christian society. We were never by definition a Christian nation because we were not ruled by Christian leaders. That was done on purpose by the Christians. Christians who had left Christian empires, whether from the Roman Catholic side or from the Anglican Church of England side or the various Reformed churches that were also starting to control Europe at that time, they were very much aware of what happens when you put church leaders in charge of government. Christians made the decision not to do that. It wasn't like there was some snooty atheist going, hey, guys, separation of church and state. It was Christians going, we will not do this. 
We're not going to try to do this, but we would be a Christian people. That's why you can see in our history, we're praying at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. We're not praying towards a rock in Mecca. We're praying to the God of the Bible. That's why when we began to have chaplains or, or Congress meetings, they began to have Christian chaplains. Now they'll let in any religion come and do something there, but it was started by Christians. And that is why when we started to promote our public school system, prayers and the Bible reading was a part of those systems. Can I hear an amen? And what we have now learned is when we've taken out the Bible, we've had to put in metal detectors. For better or for worse, however people have misused the Bible, I would rather be dealing with the problems of heretics in the Bible than to be dealing with people who think they came from the goo through the zoo to you, and they're going to now live in that mindset. How many would rather have some Bible debates in school than to have what we have now in school? I would rather have prayers before school than to have drag queen library reading hour, right? Or to have children learn about things in the sexual um, fantasies of perverse people. Now, put it all together. What are Christians here to do at this time? We're not to let go of our traditions of the past. We are to keep them. We are to go and reclaim them. That's why sometimes, you know, I, I, I want to make sure I balance some of you guys who get mad at prosperity preachers. You wouldn't have liked the Christians of different ages because they built castles, <laughs> okay? Yeah, this Christian guy has a mansion, but some other Christian guy over here built a castle. We've also built nations before, y'all, okay? So let's not be too hard on people who want to have money and be a Christian. Here's the problem that I think we can all agree on. When people in the clergy, when pastors get that money from their congregation to build the castles, how many know that's a problem? My thing to those pastors is, hey, if you want to be wealthy, go out there and get it like the people of your church had to get it. Don't do it selling them your books and your conferences because they already paid you to do that. Imagine you having to pay two and three times for the same thing. This is ridiculous. So it's like, hey, Pastor Joe, what do I pay you for? So I can write books. But why do I have to pay for them out there, right? We give our books away free. And when you purchase a book in that sense, you're helping us give more away for free. But they're already for free. If you can't afford them, they're yours. It's the same thing of, well, Pastor, what do I pay you for? So you can preach, right? Yeah, I can preach. Well, why are you charging me to come back in to hear you preach and now you're calling it a conference? It doesn't make any sense. I thought that was originally why you guys allowed me to make a living off being a pastor. Amen? So now if I want more than that, should I try to write more books to sell more books to you? Should I have more conferences? No, I should give all of that away. And then I should go out in the world and make it like how you made it. Do you get to go out in the world and just ask people for money, take up two or three offerings on your job? Does anybody here get to do that? Don't you got to go out there and sell stuff? Don't you got to go out there and become a part of the economy? So I think, hey, pastors, if you want that, like, pastor, you want a jet, that's great. Go get a jet. Go do what these people did to get jets out there, and then no one will, I think, will say anything. Well, of course, I think there's still some that probably would because they want Christians to be poor so that the world can be rich and that when things like COVID happen, they can take over and have um, ways to oppress us. But I think if we have our own economy or at least our own ability to buy and sell, then that will put a stop in their tracks. Amen? That's why we got to pray for all of our farmers. Stay Christian, boys. Come on, because they start messing with the farms. Hey, man, okay, y'all figure it out in Silicon Valley how you're going to get something to eat. But I'm going down to Alabama, and I'm eating with Bubba. Amen? I'm going down there with Jeremiah Jenkins, and I'm going to get me some green beans, and I'm going to get some pork, and I'm going to eat. Amen? So pray for the farmers to stay Christian. 
Amen? Pray for those who own stuff to stay Christian. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Elon Musk, but I would love to see more conservatives and especially Christians take over those things. Amen? I want to be a part of this world for the glory of God until it's time for me to go. I don't want to run and hide, and I don't want to have a defeatist attitude. I want to prepare for the worst, but I want to expect the best. Okay, I want to have a mindset where I'm expecting God to do great things, to do amazing things. Even the Christians throughout history, as they have suffered when they were under oppression, which, by the way, a lot of people forget that Christians themselves were an oppressed group. They were taken as slaves. Christians were into other nations. They were murdered and killed and abused. And if you study the Islamic slave trade, there was nothing more valuable to the Muslims to have in their slave trade than the Christians that they would conquer. You can study about that. And as a matter of fact, one of our first wars in America was against the pirates of Islam in Tripoli who were messing with us. How many are glad that you're a part of a church today where you learn stuff other than Jonah being in the belly of a whale? Okay? So you came to church to learn things, right? We came to experience God and to learn God, learn about him. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some of my friends, they have churches that only tickle the mind. I also need my heart to be touched, amen? Sometimes I need to fall down, go boom, cry, shake, holler, rattle, roll. Let let God work on me because I'm also an emotional person. I'm not just a database, amen? You're not just a, a computer. You're a person that has feelings and emotions. But you need to come to a church where you have to learn the things of God. Now, why is this all important? Because in our text today, we learn what God says about his own own word through the author of Hebrews. Going with me now to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the title of the sermon's God for the title of the sermon God's sharp sword. The author says for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. How many believe you're going to give an account to God one day? Amen. Prepare to meet thy maker. That should scare the hell out of some people. Amen. They're living like they're not going to meet their maker. I know that they want to believe like SpongeBob SquarePants, some corny things, but let me just tell you real quick, you are not just going back to the goo. You are going to the one who made you. Amen. That's why they love that fairy tale of evolution. And I was just listening to a man who once was an evolutionist, and now he's a creation scientist. His mind is amazing. It's amazing. If, if uh, you write me today on my Facebook page, I'll put it under a link there for you. But he was converted in his adult years after already being a scientist to young earth creationism. This is not a deal breaker. As a Christian, there's multiple ways to, to look at the Bible and be consistent with it to a point. I think the most consistent is young earth creationism. But uh, when we think that this might be dying out, it's actually not. They're building a $100 million creation museum somewhere now, I believe, in Tennessee. We already see the large ark that's been built by our brothers and sisters out there in Kentucky. And it's continuing to grow. People are realizing the bankruptcy of that mindset. It's because they got away from the word of God. If you were to look at the third way, the third way, this would be a place to start with your friendly neighborhood professor, those of you who are in school. These are not Christians, and they hate that Christians use their website. Just go and put it up there for us, please. The third way, they, they actually, I'll have you read the quote where they say, we don't like evangelical Christians using our website, you know. But the, the, the beans that they're spilling over there is that neo-Darwinism doesn't work. 
and they are not Christians. They don't like Christians using their website, but they're poking holes in Darwinism. The third way, my brother, take your time. And so what I want you to do is if you have a professor or you're in high school, I want you to slowly integrate this into their worldview so that they can start to deal with it because all they're giving you is right now what they have in their textbooks. But the big boys and, and girls who are writing their textbooks are joining uh, communities like this where they are beginning to understand that the world cannot be explained as they have done it in their fairy tales. They say what we believe is a fairy tale. Let me ask you something. Someone creating something, does that sound like a fairy tale to you? I'm going to say it again because some of you are sleeping right now. Everybody up? I'm up, Pastor. Okay. Listen to this. Is somebody making something the start of a fairy tale? Does that sound like a fairy tale to you? Somebody made a chair. Oh, that's a good fairy tale. That's a good one. Somebody made a car. Oh, that's even better, man. That's an amazing fairy tale. Here's how, here's how our Bible starts. Somebody, God, made the heavens and the earth. Does that sound like a fairy tale to you? Not at all, right? There are myths of how these things happen. The Indian people believe that out of Brahma's belly button, a lotus came forth, and from that lotus came the creation. How many know that's a little strange? How many know that doesn't sound like something you're bringing to science class tomorrow? But how about this idea? Somebody made something. That sounds pretty good, right? Now tell me if this sounds like a fairy tale. From nothing came everything. Does that sound like a fairy tale? From no thing, nothing came everything. Brother, are you having trouble with that website? Okay, Nancy, would you help him with the third way? And then put up right here, A Universe from Nothing by Lawrence Krauss, please. This is not something I'm making up. Lawrence Krauss, one of the smartest people on the planet that says some of the dumbest things, has wrote a book, A Universe from Nothing. He's friends with Dawkins. And he believes that he can prove to you that nothing can create everything. Now, Here's the website that I want you to go to, my brother, just so you can see it here. Third way, and I want to put this up here, evolution. Help me out today. Help the preacher preach, amen. TheThirdWayOfEvolution.com will be that website. Does this sound like a fairy tale? Somebody made something. Yes or no? That sounds like a fairy tale, somebody made something? Y'all don't even pay attention in class. Somebody making something, is that a fairy tale? No, that's not a fairy tale. Somebody making, that happens every day. How many of you work at a place where somebody makes something? How many of you are one of those somebodies that makes a something? Anybody here? Yeah. Now, you see that every single day of your life that somebody makes something. That is not a fairy tale. Is it a fairy tale to believe that nothing made everything? Yeah, that's the fairy tale. Here's the third way right here. Now, uh, scroll down for me, please. Go and scroll down a little bit. Okay, there we go. 
Yeah, here we go. Highlight this part right here. Highlight this right here. It has come to our attention that the Third Way website is wrongly being referenced by proponents of intelligent design and creationists like me. If we could hold it still, my brother, thank you. And creationist ideas as support for their arguments. We intend to make it clear the website and scientists listed on the website do not support or subscribe to any proposals that resort to inscrutable divine forces or supernatural intervention, whether they are called creationism, intelligent design, or anything else. Well, you're still wrong on that. But how many know they can be right but still wrong on something? What they're right on is that evolution, as it's been proposed, does not explain anything anymore. Not, not, not at the molecular level. The idea that Charles Darwin had of going from the goo to the zoo to you and all of that has been blowed up when they found the immense complexity of what's going on in the mic microbiological world. It's, it's not just a little bit of goo in us, like that, there was a little bit of goo over there. Shake up a pop can, give it enough time, and it will turn into your uncle lizard and then to a dog and all that. There, there is, there, there, there's no way it's happening now. James Tour who works with chemicals, he's a chemical biologist, his PhD is in it, has been blowing this up for years, and now others are, are even joining from non-Christian backgrounds. And so, brothers and sisters, you are on good ground when you believe the Bible. Now, I want you to see this. I didn't make this up. Lawrence Krauss, can you scroll down so everybody can see the cover, please? Or scroll up, rather. What does that say? A universe from what? And you say that I'm reading the fairy tale? You say that I'm, leave it up there for me, please, my brother. Thank you. I know they'll get a little free advertisement. Maybe click on the picture so you can see this, okay? Maybe just zoom in on that. There you go. Am I telling you a fairy tale today? No, that scientist is telling you a fairy tale. Why? Because smart people can believe dumb things. How many know in Nazi Germany there was a lot of smart people? I just watched an hour documentary on the nurses. I never thought about this. Very interesting. Very interesting. The nurses were the tip of the spear of Nazi Germany. I didn't know that. I'm thinking it's the third right. It's the soldiers. It's all of that. But hold on. Everybody think about it. Who's the one actually pushing the button for the gas chamber? That's not a soldier there. The soldier's out there, you know, fighting, guarding, doing all that. Who's the one giving the injections? It was the nurses. They did this whole documentary on it. If you write me again under this post, as a matter of fact, I'll just put them up there for you today. So I'll put that one as well as uh, James Tour and a couple other things I've been mentioning here. Listen, brothers and sisters, those nurses would then take breaks and vacation in the Alps with a clear conscience. If you put them on a lie detector test and ask them, do you think you're doing a good thing? They would say, of course. And then if you ask them why, they would say, because of the science. What was the science that they were believing at that time? Eugenics. If you take Darwinian evolution to be true, then that means as you go from the goo through the zoo to you, there has to be a superior you. We do that with all the animal world, don't we? What would you rather bring to a fight today, a chihuahua or a rottweiler? <laughs> what you bring into the fight? You walk down the hood with a chihuahua on a leash? No, you bring in a pit bull, you bring in a rottweiler, you bring in a German shepherd, a doverman. You're bringing something for real, right? So then now just apply that to the human species. Which one is more fit than the other, <laughs> That's all they did. All they did was apply Darwinian evolution to humans. 
Do you know that the man who was responsible for discovering the gene code, one of the men responsible is a full-on racist. They had to take back one of the prizes. I believe it was a Nobel Prize of Science. They had to take it back from him because he said, oh, now we can finally show the races are not all equal. This is after the guy was paid millions of dollars to do this as a scientist, and then he just fully came out and goes, okay, now let's start rating the, ranking the races. Now, we know as Christians we come from one race, the human race, but I would charge any evolutionist to prove it wrong based on your evolution. You can't just say, oh, it's icky. Prove it wrong. I mean, because if we came from the goo to the zoo to you and there's gradual change over time and it's survival of the fittest and that the, meat, the weak are meat, you know, the weak become meat for the strong, well, then prove it wrong with Darwinism. Don't, don't apply my ethics from the Bible now to your being upset about it. Because if we are just all animals, molecules in motion, then why can't that guy start his experiments now? Why were the nurses wrong? Hey, they're just doing us all a favor. And, and, and if you study this documentary, they were killing their own long before they were killing the Jews. They were killing the handicapped and the ages. Just get rid of all of them. No more compassion. They're a blight to society. They used the excuse that they needed the resources for the war. Hey, we can't give up these hospital beds to the mentally ill. We, we can't have the elderly in these nursing homes. We need our soldiers and the sick to be there. So let's just start killing them. And, and once again, who's applying those shots to grandpa. It was a nurse. It wasn't a soldier coming in with a gun. It was a nurse coming to the IV and just shooting up grandpa. And so why can that happen to a nurse? Why would that happen to a culture that even on a lie detector test, I believe they would say, because in trials they were saying that, we thought we were doing the truth because science doesn't give you morality. The world that comes from nothing is a fictional fairy tale that offers you no foundation. But what does the Word of God say? Going back to the Scripture, let's get rid of this uh, make-believe garbage. Right? Let's go to the Bible. What does it say? That the Word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates between your soul and your spirit, joints and marrow, and it will judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart and lay you bare on the operating table of God. That's what the Word of God does. And you see, brothers and sisters, those rabbit trails that I took today, I hope you enjoyed them a little bit, is how we preach the Word of God in a 21st century society. I'm thankful for the Sunday school stories, but that's not going to work today on your job where they mock our Bible, mock our Christmas celebration, say our Jesus is just like their pagan deities and all of this nonsense and equiv equivocate these terms. Zeus, Jesus, Jesus, you see the combination, you, you see the comparison, all of this garbage. That's, that's false information appearing as wisdom. But my brothers and sisters, you need to come with the truth of God's word and, and slice it to pieces right in front of them. Slice it to pieces right in front of them. You know, they try to come to us when we're preaching the gospel on the streets, and they say, oh, do you believe in creationism and all this? Yeah, I believe somebody created something. What do you believe? We came from nothing? Is that the cotton-headed ninny-moggin thing you're believing? Because I'm not the cotton-headed ninny-moggin. Anybody watching Elf this year? I'm not the cotton-headed ninny-moggin here. I believe in something that I see every single day. Somebody makes something. That's what I believe. 
You believe nothing created everything. Explain that to me in a laboratory. Put that under a microscope and paint it red so I can touch it and feel it and smell it. Nothing. Can I see a little bit of nothing today? Can I hold nothing? Can I put nothing in my pocket? And the joke about Lawrence Cross, because obviously he's a smart person, it was all a bait and switch, and the other atheists and the other scientists got mad at him for writing that stupid book because he describes nothing as being a vacuum. Well, it's not nothing anymore. If you can describe it as something, and if nothing has attributes that you measure on machines, anybody home here? Who let this dude out the lab? <laughs> hey, man, you just keep studying molecules and leave all the big talk and philosophy stuff to us, okay, sir? That's what the other atheists were actually saying to him. They, they just they ridiculed him. They didn't want anything to do with that, and he had to walk it back because it was just a tactic to sell books. Like, wow, we came from nothing. He figured it out, and then people were like, no, he didn't. He just calls nothing another thing. If you're calling a something a nothing, you have just lost the English dictionary, Amen. No thing. I don't believe in no thing. I believe in the God of the Bible who is full of all wisdom and knowledge, compassion and love and mercy, who made the universe as his terrarium for his prize apex creation, and that's you and I. We're in God's terrarium today. We're in God's world. Have you ever looked around at what you eat and are just blown away by how it works like that? Yesterday, I was having a bowl of fruit, and I was just thinking about this. This stuff grows off trees. This stuff grows off trees. And I know it's so crazy. Now we got to put all these chemicals and things to now they got blue Takis. Where did you even get blue from to make a Taki? It first started off with a tortilla chip. You know, and I love tortilla chips. And then it started with a Dorito, and then it went to a Taki. Now it's a blue neon Taki. Before you know it, we're going to be turning into mutant creatures eating whatever we have combined in chemical laboratories. But guess what? There's actually stuff called food that grows out of the ground. There's actually stuff you can take out of the ground and eat. Have you ever seen where a potato came from? You ever seen where these things come from? I know like, it almost sounds like I'm doing a comedy bit right now, but I'm not. I'm being honest with you. This has blown my mind. You would think I'm weird, and I'm sure my neighbors do because they have an apple tree, and I have stood in front of that apple tree many times on a walk, and it's just been amazed by it. Look at this apple tree. Have you guys seen this apple tree? Do you know how this apple tree, like I want to talk to my neighbors walking, do you know how this thing started? It started as, as a seed. Do you know where it went? It went into dirt. It went into this stuff down here. And then what came out of the sky went onto that, and then it grew bigger than the sea. And here, here it is. And I've actually asked that neighbor, can I have one? Oh, yeah, you can have one. And you take it off the tree and you eat it. God made us. God made us to do that. And some people say, why did he make cows so slow? Because he knew they were so good so we could catch them. So we could catch them. Imagine if a tiger tasted like a cow. We wouldn't be eating many of them. We would never catch them. But he made what we love so much to move so slow. That's my favorite food is steak. He's just—he's not a dinosaur. He's not an alligator. He's a big, like, two-ton animal moving, like, at a half a mile an hour. You can eat him. He is there for you to eat. 
How many are going to eat something like that today? Praise God. I know it's weird that we're talking about it in church, but the Word of God teaches us that's what's going on. We've lost so much of our foundation. Think about it. People during Thanksgiving didn't even know who to thank. Well, I just, I just want to thank myself. Okay, so you made yourself. No, no, I guess I should thank my parents. Well, where'd your parents come? Well, they came from parents, so I thank them. Keep on going. Keep. Well, I thank the goo back in the day on the primordial soup. Okay, well, where did that, where did that come from? Eventually, what are they thinking? God of nothing. I thank you that out of nothing, everything came, right? They have no one to thank. We thank God. We thank God for the heavens and the earth. There are Christians right now on the space station. I don't know specifically which ones are Christian, but we've had them up there. That's why I know the earth is not flat, people, okay? The earth is round. They're up there circling around it. They're Christians. They come, they're not lying to us. They're not part of some conspiracy, okay? They're up there right now, and they can see the glories of God. One flat earth guy tried to go up there, and he died on his own homemade rocket ship. Don't do that, okay? Even if you do believe the earth is flat, don't try to now make your own rocket ship. You might not have that right either, okay? But we see the handiwork of God. We now tell our seasons by these stars that God put in place. You know what the Word of God said all of that? Go with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. How many think the Word of God is pretty amazing? We're going to get to the personal application, but I just want to take a few more moments to show you the grandiose effect of the Word of God. Going to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. So this is the illustration that the Word of God is like a seed in the inside of you. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. Now listen to this. And I would love for Morgan Freeman or somebody with one of those cool voices to read this. For all men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You mean the same word of God that is preaching right now or being preached to you right now is the same word of God that made the heavens and the earth? Absolutely. I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who what? banged it. He said, let there be light, and bang, it happened. He spoke it. I know there's some interesting things that have come up now into what is in our particle physics. You can look at a talk, big think talk by Michio Okaku, and he talks about string theory, and he says that at the heart of our particles is a vibration. Of course, the Hindus love this because they think they discovered it with um. No, that's not where it is, baby. They're on to something, though. But the sound of God's word is vibrating through every particle holding you together. That's what I would say it is. Now, if you want to know the frequency of that, you have to go to another pastor, and he'll probably sell you a book and a conference so you can find that frequency. But I'll tell you right here that the word of God is the source of, and it is the source code for everything we have right now. And it has the sound of God's voice when he first spoke it, vibrating it right now. I don't say the vibration is God's voice. I'm just saying just like how I can speak 
and then after I have spoken, there is a vibration that follows the sound wave. We are in God's sound wave right now. Amen? You are in the product of the Word of God and what it's capable of doing. Why did I want to do all of that? Just in, in summary, it's because I want you to be able to walk into the place that you go tomorrow and call a job, to go home today with your family, and have hope that the Word of God has an answer for everything you're going through. I want us to stop pretending that the Word of God is make-believe, and we just came to church to play D&D, &D, our version of Dungeons and Dragons. We just came here to cast out demons in make-believe world and then go out there to real world. No, no, no. The Word of God makes demons flee even in that world. The Word of God brings healing in that world. The Word of God brings inventive ideas and inspiration towards everything that you find valuable in that world. Who are the best scientists? Christians. Who are the best inventors? Christians. Who are the best businessmen and women? Christians. Who are the best politicians? Christians. Christians need to shine their gospel light, the gospel light with the Word of God. Amen? Now, some practical application going there to Hebrews. The Word of God, like a double-edged sword, you get the illustration, a sword, two sides, it's sharp. And what does it do? It divides. It cuts asunder. It gives us examples of two things that can be cut asunder. One is the soul and spirit, and the other one is joint and marrow. From this reason, I believe that we are try, not die. I believe we are body, soul, and spirit, not just spiritual souls that are one substance and then a body. This is a debate among Christians, but I believe the soul is a different kind of thing than the spirit. They both may be in the same realm, but the soul is not identical to the spirit. And Thessalonians talks about this. Paul says, may God sanctify you wholly in your body, soul, and spirit. How many have read that before? Now, this is something that shouldn't divide us. You can pray and see either the soul and spirit as one thing. And then the body as another thing. So in that sense, we're all dualists. We all believe there's a spiritual component to our existence and then a physical component. Every Christian believes that, for the most part, we're dualists. But then in our understanding of what is on the other side of the flesh, some say it's only our spirit and a soul is another way of saying the spirit. Their example for this would be like how the Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would just say those are just synonymous. Your heart is not different than your soul. Your soul is not different than your mind. These are all the same thing. I would have a, a different way of saying, uh, saying that, but that's how they would see it. And then they would say the spirit is the soul. The soul is the spirit. They're basically identical. Jesus saying, today I could commit my spirit to you. That's the same way of him saying, I commit my soul to you. The reason why I don't see them as the same thing is because one is rebirth instantly and the other one is developed and grows. And so they have two different attributes about them. Now, this is where it gets a little bit deep. But just follow me on this. If A equals B, A and B have to be identical in all of their attributes. Does everybody get that? Okay, because I got a chair right there I can pull out if I need to slow down. Okay? Okay, let's go slow. If A equals B, A equals B, that means whatever can be said of A has to be said of B, and whatever is said of B has to be said of A, right? So, for example, if I say this is A, right, and I hold up my iPhone, I can then say B is also my iPhone. I can't say A is my iPhone and then B equals my Bible or my rag up here. Is everybody tracking with me? So they have to be identical. This is in the laws of logic. This has to do with the law of identity. So if two things are equal in all ways, that means they have the same identity. We're talking about the same thing. When we talk about the soul, the soul can grow 
and develop. The soul is also unique to the person. This is an attribute that the spirit does not have. The spirit, I believe, that we are given at rebirth is similar to every human spirit. My human spirit is like your human spirit, where there is something about my soul that is not like your soul, mainly my personality. Did everybody see that? Okay. So A, being the spirit, does not equal B, being the soul, because I can say something about the soul that is true that is not true about the spirit. So those who would say spirit and soul are synonymous, then they would have to say we all have the same soul and the same spirit because it's clear that we all had the same breath of God to give us spiritual life, to become living souls given to us. You don't have a different kind of spirit than I have. Can I hear an amen? We have the same kind of human spirit, but we all don't have the same human soul. Now, they would have to defend it from that point on, but since I have the mic today, I'm right. No, I'm half, half kid. But you notice what it can do, though, and this would be a great argument for our point, is that it can divide it. Are joints the same thing as marrow? Are joints the same thing as marrow? That's why they can be divided, right? So that would make our point. Is the soul then the same thing as the spirit? No, because it can be what? Divided. Now, why, is the, why are these two examples being used? Because of the dichotomy of physical and spirit. He's going to use a spiritual example, something that is non-physical. That's going to be soul and spirit. This is what the Word of God does. It can separate things in the internal life. Then he uses an example of the body, of the material world, and says the Word of God can separate those things. Sometimes people think that it's just merely the spiritual things that the Word of God can separate. But that is untrue because if the Word of God is the foundation for every physical thing, then that means whenever we make identifications and we make divisions in the physical world, where are we getting the basis to do that from? The Word of God. Okay? Remember I mentioned that law of identity? The law of identity, it's a logical law. One thing is a thing, and if it's like another thing, it's identical in all ways. Otherwise, it's not the same thing. Because if we say they're the same thing, now we violate the law of non-contradiction. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay. The law of identity, the law of non-contradiction, the law of the excluded middle are the basis for rational thought. But hold on. We apply that to everything we do, even in the physical world. We apply philosophical concepts of identity, non-contradiction, and the excluded middle when we go to our jobs, right? Okay, if somebody says, like, let's say you're parking cars for a living, you do, you're a, a valet, and somebody goes, hey, where's my car? And you hand them somebody else's car, how many know that's not a good day for you? That's not, not a good day because you did not recognize the difference between the two cars. You didn't have a law of identity working correctly. So my question is, where did that law come from? Does that come through goo? Can I shake up a pop can today, put some chemicals today in the laboratory and start showing you those laws? No, the Bible says they come right here. So the same way that a doctor would know the difference between a joint and a marrow is the same way from the Word of God we know everything. So when people say, oh, man, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in science, the first thing you need to say to them is, I feel sorry for you for believing that stupidity. It's the first thing. But I love you, and like Mr. T, I what? I pity the fool. So I got some pity. I'm giving it out today. I love you. And somebody's like, oh, you're so prideful. No, listen, man, I love people. I'm humble with them, and I just every now and then got to show them a mere reflection of who they are, okay? The second thing you say to them is do science without God. Do science without God's word. Do you have a creation without God? So can they even do science? No. Could they have the mind to understand the scientific principles without God's word? 
Of course not, because God's word, go to John 1.1 1, 1 in the, uh, the Bible, please, and then we'll highlight over it, is logic itself. In the beginning was the what? The word. And what is that Greek word? Logos, the very foundation of logic. Now, this is an etymology, etymological argument, if I could say the word. Etymology, etymology, etymological. There we go. We'll go with that. That sounded about right. Here's the problem when you read more than you listen. I read more oftentimes than I listen. Sometimes I have these words that I read in books and I don't pronounce them enough. Etymological. There it is. It's an etymological argument. Tap on the word word there for me, please, and see the Greek for it. This word for word is logos. What does that sound like today? Logos. Logic. From word comes logic. You can't reason unless you can understand words. Do you think that's an accident the Bible put that there? No, that's teaching us. In the beginning was the what? The word, the logic, the reason of God. He is with God. It's not just an it. It's a person we're going to learn is with God, and he's God like the Father. And in verse 14, he, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Amen? And what does he come doing? He comes bearing the glory of God, but he comes full of grace and what? Truth. Now, does this truth just apply to how many days Jonah was in the belly of a whale? Like, this truth doesn't apply to your job tomorrow because Jesus ain't got that truth, baby. He's got spiritual truth. Jesus, spiritual. You ever hear people talk like that? Do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. Is that all we're talking about here? Spiritual truth. Spiritual. I do the crooked chicken. I'm a vegan. I wear tight yoga pants. I'm spiritual. I always meet those people at the abortion clinic, and I say to them, you guys are a part of the yoga pant-wearing cult, man. Y'all come out here in yoga pants and scream and holler at us. Your white privilege has gotten out of hand, and it takes one to know one here, okay? I'll, I'll, you know, like I got to say to my brothers and sisters, let me handle them. I know them. This is my kind. Now, Karen, come here for a minute, Karen. Karen, do we really need to behave like this? I mean, really. You're out here shouting and hollering. You're waving your handbag in our face. You're acting very privileged right now. Karen, would you please either talk logically or move on and hang out with uh, Tom and Tim and Bart and whoever else you're going to have uh, a latte with? Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. That applies to Karen's job, doesn't it? Whatever Karen does tomorrow, she's doing it because of God's truth. Unless she's insane, then that's a derivation of God's truth. But all that we do as humans, we do from God's truth, going back to the, the passage here. But it doesn't stop there. He gives us a physical example, a spiritual example, but then it goes to the depths of our thoughts and our attitudes. Up until this point, we've been really deep. You want me to bring it right now to where we're all at? How about to your attitude? Let's stop talking about the dude who says something comes from nothing. Let's forget about that fool for a minute. Let's leave him alone. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about our attitudes. You got that? Come on, we all got them, don't we? How do you know when that attitude's right or when that attitude's wrong? You can't just say mama's always right. I know that's how it works in most families, and I have to submit to that in my house. Mama's always right. You want a happy life, you better have a happy wife. I get it. I get it. But how do mamas know what they're doing then? You know what I'm saying? Because they just can't pull the mama card, the wife card. She's got to know whether or not her attitude is right. Well, the Bible says God teaches us about our attitudes. This is why it's such a tricky thing when we judge people. And the Bible says not to do it except by their actions because you don't know people's intentions. 
Sometimes you may think one thing about somebody, but you'll have the wrong impression of them. So the Bible says, judge a, a tree by its fruit. And that's why when I talk to somebody, they say, well, God knows my heart. After we've shown that they're living in adultery, they like pornography and all that, I go, you're exactly right. He knows it's wicked. Well, God knows my heart. You know, hey, are you sleeping together? Yeah, we're sleeping together. We're not, are you married? No. But God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And guess what it is? It's wicked. It's a wicked heart that you have. Why? Because I don't know what's going on inside that head of theirs. I don't even know all the time what's going on inside in my head. Amen? How many are still trying to figure yourself out? And women, come on, give me an amen right now. Some of you women need to be honest. I know women. Come on, you figuring it out. I got four women in my house, five including my wife. And um, let me just say, I love them. (laughs) I know I'm treading very lightly right now. And let me just say that I help them. In any way that I can, without, manspl- without mansplaining, without being mean, and all the other things that they call me. Uh, but I want them to discern their attitudes. <laughs> Amen. You got to be honest with yourself. What is your attitude like? You know, I can't look at your heart, but I can see your actions. But God alone judges the thoughts in the heart. God knows what I'm thinking right now. Why am I preaching? Am I preaching for your applause? Am I preaching to build a big church? Am I preaching to make myself feel better? Or am I preaching to honor God in his word? See, I need the word of God to do that. Even when we got into those big conversations about science and all that, why does a scientist do what he does? If he does it for his own notoriety, his own fame, that's out of greed. God will punish him for that. But if he does it for the glory of God, if he thinks the thoughts of God after him and he writes out these wonderful equations and these scientific laws to give honor to God, then he'll be blessed. Amen? The Christian today is not supposed to just simply say, I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters. No, the Christian is supposed to say, now that I'm going to heaven, God, look at my thoughts, look at my attitudes, and every day mold them and shape them to be like yours. And God has thoughts today about the cable company. God has thoughts today about how we build bicycles. God has thoughts today about how we do everything in this world. We need to think those thoughts after him. Won't it be amazing when we get to heaven and we see God was the inventor using us to put out all these beautiful inventions in the world? Amen? How many know this didn't come from Steve Jobs alone? God used Steve Jobs to come up with an iPhone. And so what we have to do is say, God, what am I doing today with with my life? Where, Where are my thoughts supposed to be? Where are my attitudes supposed to be? And let me just give you a great prayer to pray in closing. Lawrence, would you come, please? Psalm 139 gives us a great promise of God knowing us while we were in our mother's womb. It's a great pro-life verse. As you continue on with it, it almost takes a turn that's unexpected. But if you have been around Christianity and been serving God for a while, it kind of fits. But I remember being a new Christian, reading it, going, okay, where do do we take a turn to get here? But it made perfect sense after I became a, a Christian after a while, and I went back and read it, and I was like, oh, I know why he said this. Look at Psalm 139. He's talking all about the beautiful things of God. Start and say, verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, talking about his mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That's what he's considering, like that cave of the womb is like a cave of the earth. Speaking poetic, obviously. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. You see, God's word has been given to us in 66 books, but he also has a book, a word about our life. And we need to get into that book by understanding this book. Can I hear an amen? We have to understand what he has for our life by understanding this book. When you understand the book of God, you'll understand 
the book of God's life for you. Amen. And so he's saying, man, my, my life's been written in your book. And you had it all there before one of them came to be. And I wish I had time to talk about determination and fatalism and how this is not that. God gives us free choices and knows the end from the beginning. So these are, in fact, our choices along the way, but he doesn't learn them. He already knows them. That would be a simple explanation. But he says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. Remember, the word of God judges our thoughts, our attitudes. And so the psalmist is saying here, God, I want your thoughts. Paul said, set your mind on Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Set your affections above where Christ is seated. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Everybody go, aw. How many are like thinking about sending this to somebody right now? Like, hey, man, I was in church. I was just thinking about you, Psalm 139. You better read the rest of it just before you send it because they might be a little bit, a little bit weirded out. If only God would slay the wicked. What just happened here, David? Hold up, David. Wait a minute. I mean, we just went from this soft little music to scream. God will slay the wicked. Away from me, you are bloodthirsty. What? Okay, okay, you're doing something here, God, in the Scripture. I need to understand this. What just happened here? Is this just now David came back to riding on his easel after he just got some terrible news from some hater in his life on Facebook, and now he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to slay the wicked. Let me finish this poem. No. As I matured in Christianity, I began to understand this, and some of you might already see it. You see, you can tell a lot about what you love by what you hate. You see, if you love marriage, you'll hate divorce. If you love the family and what God designed for men and women together, you'll hate any perversion of that. Not the people, but the ideas. Are you with me? And so David here is explaining how awesome God is, and he brought us to such a deep emotional place. It's amazing. But then he has to show us the other side, which is I don't want the wicked to be around here messing it up. And yes, we're going to see the wicked saved, and a lot of you were wicked, I was wicked. We're coming to a church like this, and we're growing in Christ. But there's going to be a day when God says, I'm done with the wicked of Chicago. And the, and the doors of the ark are going to be shut and the flood is going to come. And David is saying, man, just get out of it. You guys ruin everything. Sinners, you ruin everything. Away from me, you who are thirsty for the blood of children in abortion clinics. That's how I would say it. Away from me, you wicked sinners. Those of you who just love to murder and to steal and all of these wicked things, away from me. They speak of you, God. They talk about you, God, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And once again, he's talking about their actions. This is not just hating people because the Bible obviously has said to love your enemies, to pray for them. Even David understood that. But what he's saying here is, I hate what they do and I hate what they stand for and I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing 
but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, some people might say, Joe, you could have saved it a little bit before with some of Jesus' soft, lovey-dovey stuff, but David's off the rails now. Let him go. You've lost him. No, he's still, he's still with the heart of Jesus here because what is the heart of Jesus on Judgment Day? Oh, sinners, I'm so sorry. Is Jesus going to be like effeminate on that day? Oh, I just wanted you to be my friend. My wife doesn't like when I do the effeminate voices. She likes me as a man. Snap into a Slim Jim. WWE Smackdown. Yes, my son back there laughing. I hate them. No, listen. David's not off the rails. What David is expressing is what happens to those people that God hates in their behavior as they're judged. They're not given second and third chances on Judgment Day, friends. This gets lived out as the prophecy of God's judgment. And then now the last verses. Back, back to the soft stuff. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious what? Anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remember in the passage of Hebrews, what does it say about the Word of God? It lays us all bare. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Would you pray with me today for God to look at your heart and judge the attitudes and intentions today? Bad and altar workers, would you come as we have an attitude of prayer in closing? Father, we thank you that your word today has been preached and that now the Holy Spirit can separate bone from the marrow or joint from the marrow, from the soul and the spirit, the attitude and the intention. Oh God, would you take out anything that's evil within us today and lead us in the way that is everlasting. With everybody in attitude of prayer, if you yet don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you right now in your own words repent of your sins, say, Jesus, I believe in you. Be my Lord, be my Savior. You died on the cross for me, rose again so that I might live a new life. Those who are already saved, but if you have not been discerning your attitude, you have not been discerning your thoughts, you've just been living whatever feels right, even though you're a Christian, you're just going with whatever you want to do, would you repent today and ask God to start cutting away with his sharp sword like a scaffold today? Would you pray that he'll cut that junk out so that your mind can be full of the thoughts that God has for you? Come on, brother or sister Christian here today, and even those who just accepted Jesus, even in this place, just ask the Lord to search you and to remove and to cut away thoughts, attitudes that only you and him know today. You can't hide it from God. Have you been contemplating or meditating on things that are sinful? Have you been hiding things in your heart that God calls wicked? Ask him to cut it away right now. Right now, Lord, cut away the junk. Sanctify us through and through. Make us like you today in our thoughts, in our attitudes. May the Word of God, the very Word of God that established the heavens and the earth, establish us today in the fruit of the Spirit, in the character of Christ. Let purity and holiness and righteousness come from the Word today within our soul to our spirit. Let the word of God 
If that's you today, would you begin to stand up with me and raise up your hands and say, Lord, cut it all away. Come on, if you're new to this church, this is a time to worship at the end. If you would like prayer, you can come on up. But we'll dismiss formally in just a moment. But right now, with hands raised, say, Jesus, make me like you in every attitude and thought. Search me and know me, O God. Remove any offensive way from me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. My thoughts will be your thoughts. My mind is set on you in the name of Jesus. New life, new energy. Come on, as the kids say, there's a new vibe. It is the vibe of the Holy Spirit. It's the vibration of the Word of God coming through your soul today. The reverberation of God's Word to the core of who you are, shaking loose all that doesn't remain so that you can know that you know that you know you are God's and He is yours. You belong to the Father and the Father says that He belongs to you. A few more moments then we'll close in worship with the dismissal. But just talk to Him right now. The Word of God will teach you about what your life is about today. It will give you the Word of what your purpose is for what your destiny is. Lord, I pray for destinies to come forth. I pray for dreams and visions to come to the young and to the old from that book that you have of our life. Show us what you made us for, O God. Hallelujah. We didn't come from nothing. We came from something that is the greatest someone. Hallelujah. And we know we have a purpose. We have a destiny. Oh, thank you, Lord. I pray right now against every attack of Satan. If you've been attacked by Satan this week, you can just raise your hands because I'm praying for you. I rebuke every attack of Satan against your mind, against your spiritual soul, against your family, your finances, your health. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Word of God, be free. Be free. You are more than a conqueror. Satan, loose them and let them go. How did Jesus respond to the devil, saints? Every time when Jesus was on earth and Satan tempted him, he said, it is written, it is written. The word of God not only is used as a sword internally, but it's used externally as a weapon in Ephesians to tear down the enemy's lies. Hallelujah. Glory. The same sword that cuts the junk out of our life will cut down the enemy today. Though it's not against flesh and blood, it's against the words that people say against us. It's against the systems that they build in the names of their false gods, like at the Tower of Babel. And we come against it in the name of Jesus. We send forth the angels of God to be the servants of the messengers of God, to protect and uphold what God is doing upon the earth. He said he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you today that your word has come with power. It has laid bare in my heart today and my intentions. I pray that I will continue to meditate on that word. May it be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. May I hide your word within my heart that I might not sin against you, O God. May each one of us, O Lord, look at the, 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 just the absolute smallness of our life compared to the greatness of who you are, knowing that we're just but a vapor, we're just but like flowers of the field, but if we have your word, we will have eternal life and endure forever. 
Bless us today as we go, but never from your presence. Keep your word in our heart and help us, Lord, to live it out in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord, saints? God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Feel free to pray and fellowship. Otherwise, you're dismissed. The band is going to start worshiping for an after party. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Work the word and it will work for you.